So it's time to set up L&D. You might be the person who's been hired to do it. You might have moved internally into the role. You might be the owner or the leader of the business and thinking that this is the solution to the challenges you're facing right now or a good way to prepare for the future. Whoever you are, you're in charge of making it happen and I want to help. I believe everyone deserves the opportunity to grow no matter where they work and that the organization benefits as well. I've had the privilege of setting up the L&D function from scratch at a tech startup turned ASX listed company and I'm in the process of doing it again right now. Welcome back to Starting Up L&D. You've been there, done that guide to establishing a thriving learning and development function. Today, we're talking about making friends. Launching L&D is a lot like launching a new product. You've done the research. You know that there's definitely a need for it in the market. Now, it's up to you to get into the hands of the target consumers and embed it. And that needs to be done fast and effectively because you've got a fixed amount of time and money to get it done. How can we create hype and generate motivation for embracing L&D without making promises that we can't keep? This episode is about the steps in the mindset that'll help you make the new learning and development something people know about and want to have, targeting the people that you might not have thought about. Why is this important to us? Well, our outcomes usually look like a change in behavior. Now, hopefully this is a change that solves the burning problem of the organization and is meaningful to the business strategy. Whatever it is, it takes people, people engaging, learning new information, building habits, and deciding to change. And that takes time. So you've got to start early. Something else to remember, you can't be best friends with everyone, at least not right away. You can be intentional about where you start, though. Lastly, we need to get this right quickly because we can't rely on honeymoon periods anymore. Qualtrics 2024 Employee Experience Trends report found that the whole just happy to be here vibe of new starters isn't actually much of a thing anymore. These new starters have got higher expectations than the established people and lower tolerances for them not being met. Our world is fast. Our people are busy. New functions, new products, we kind of just get one chance to make a good first impression, and we need to do it quick. The sad fact is that just like not being able to make friends with everyone, you're also not going to be able to say yes to everyone. Not if you want to achieve anything meaningful or have a life outside of work anyway. You're going to have to start saying no to people fairly soon. If they know you, if they know your priorities, and they understand how those priorities benefit them, Hopefully, they'll take it a little bit easier. So where do we start? We start with who. We need to work out who these people are. We talk about connecting with key stakeholders, but what is one of those when they're at work? Think about some key groups. We've got the obvious ones, you know, the people that control the strategy and the resources, the senior leaders that make decisions, the ones that we need to get the okay from to do the big stuff. We've also got the kind of obvious ones, which are the managers. Some people would say that they're a subset of the obvious ones. You know, they make decisions that impact their team. They have the information about what we need. They can make it easy or hard for people in their team to find time to do stuff. They'll give you feedback on whether your idea will work. The really good leaders will also do things like seeking you out and sharing what they're doing to get your help. 
Managers are super important to connect with and they're such a great source of information. They give us insight. We rely on them so much for nearly every learning and development initiative. But I don't want to talk about them today. I want to talk about the rest of the key stakeholders, the less obvious ones that matter a lot. Remember when we talked about organisation development? Good old Kurt Levine ruffling the feathers of the psychology community by saying that a group of people has its own ways of behaving and that a bunch of people interacting are different to when a person is on their own because they start influencing each other. Group dynamics is the official word. A great example of this is when my son brings home a new word from school. You probably know the type of word that I mean. And look, I'm not saying that he hasn't already heard that word before, but you get the right kid saying it at the right time in the classroom, and before you know it, it's taken off across the grade and everyone's getting into it. Organizations have their own social ecosystems too. Some are official, some not so much. There are influences within teams, ones that they might not be the team leader, but when they get on board with something, everyone else comes along too. It might be that they're a strong performer that people respect and they want some of that respect for themselves. Maybe they're just one of those magical people that everyone wants to be friends with. Not that I'm jealous at all. (laughs) Maybe they've just been there for a really long time and they know stuff. Whatever it is, their opinions will shape more than just their own actions. Talking about friends and connections, there are also those people who are super well connected across teams. Sometimes it's by personality. A lot of the time, it's by role. So as an example, when I was working in software implementation, we were known internally as the bridge between worlds. We worked with the sales team who set the expectations of customers about the product and with the engineers who made the product. We were constantly going between the two teams, sharing what the developers had built the thing to be capable of doing with the sales team so they could ask customer questions and get them excited. And then at the same time, we were bringing back what the customers were asking for to the developers and telling them how customers were actually using the product, which was sometimes a bit different to what the engineers had intended. This meant that I learned to speak two different languages and to act as a translator. It also meant I was pretty comfy in most meetings, social gatherings, or events because I already knew everyone pretty well. When you're trying to get the word out, targeting these people is a very smart move. When it comes to adopting new stuff, there's always going to be those innovators and early adopters, the majority, and then the laggards. How can you spot your innovators and your early adopters? These people are the risk takers. So your innovators, they want to try it out because they just like new stuff, whereas early adopters want to try it out because they're passionate about your stuff. How can you get these two groups of people excited and engaged? Well, for them, perfection is nowhere near as important as speed. They're going to have great feedback and they'll be your ticket to the biggest chunk of the market that you need to get, your majority. You need to get that group of people on board to make any kind of real impact. P.S. I wouldn't fret too much about the laggards. You're never going to get 100% of the people to like you or what you're doing. And if you are, you're probably not being bold enough. So how do we actually get this majority on board? Well, the same way that marketers do when it comes to a new product. Some proof 
and some really cool success stories. Now, official directives can drive behavior in the workplace. There are going to be those times when we just have to get every single person to complete the data security training or else because we have to get the security certification to attract more customers. The situations that I'm talking about, which are more common, is where social proof is going to be way better, especially if you can get a little dash of that FOMO, fear of missing out in there too. There is a bunch of really great software out there that I would probably categorize as sneaky in the way that they get customers. It's a special version of Land and Expand, and honestly, it's how the places that I work have had half the tools that they use. The way that it works is there's a person or a small team, and they've got a need, a problem that they need fixed, something that's not quite working properly. And they find this really cool piece of technology that does it. And even better, it's free, like actually free, not a 14-day trial. So they start using it. They start loving it and then they're telling their other team members about it. They're having some wins so people want to get on board and start using it too. And then it kind of just becomes part of this team's way of working. Still free, by the way, at this point or sitting at a cost that's kind of low enough that the team could put it on the leader's company card if they needed to. But it doesn't stop there. Now that this whole team is using it and they're really seeing the successes of it, People in other teams start finding out about it as well. They see it working for people like them, and they want it too. Next thing you know, it's a company-wide thing. And because there are now so many users, we have to bump up a tier to get to the professional level. That's usually what they call the first kind of properly expensive level of this product. Think of it like the business class of software as a service. So this tool, this piece of software has become part of an entire business's way of working without a single sales call, demo, contract negotiation, or meeting. It's magic. Not to drop names, but I want to get specific so you know what I'm talking about. I'm meaning tools like Slack, Miro, Trello, and Zapier. These are actually all examples of things that I've personally seen make their way into the business's essential toolkit. And they do it based on the strength of their results instead of the promises. Miro came to where I worked in the toolkit of a new user experience designer. He used it to facilitate some sessions. Then all the developers were using it for their weekly meetings to talk about how things were tracking and wins, things that they learned. Then in the implementations team, we started using it because we found it was a really great tool to help our customers prioritize their project tasks and collaborate when they weren't all in the same room. P.S., if you're new to the L&D space and haven't seen something like Miro yet, definitely worth a look. Um, It's an online interactive whiteboard, basically, and it's so good for facilitating those interactive sessions if you've got a bunch of distributed people, or if you're like me and you have terrible handwriting, also really good for in-person meetings. See, now I'm the one that's telling people about it. Talk about learn and expand. In fancy marketing terms, this is called a product qualified lead instead of a marketing qualified lead. So what they've done is instead of convincing the person who's in charge of the budget that this is the right solution, they've gone straight to the people that actually use it and let them try it free to see that it works. It takes a lot of confidence in what you have to offer. And the key is making it really low risk for people to try out. 
if we're going to steal this concept and apply it to getting people engaged with L&D, what do we do? How can we make it attractive and low risk to get started and give these people such a great result that they start bragging about it and making it a part of their work lives? Well, the clue to getting them engaged is in the story. Three simple steps. Don't go after the whole company right away. Get right into the individual needs and start making things happen. And be generous, sensibly. Now, together, I get that this might sound a bit counterintuitive. You know, it seems like a haphazard, time-intensive, expensive approach. But remember, we're not doing this and making friends with everyone. We're doing these things at exactly the right time to get the right impact. Let's unpack it a little bit more. So first things first, not going after the whole company right away. Translated for us, that means being okay with inconsistency. Thought I might start with the hardest one. Definitely the challenge that I deal with the most. When you're starting up L&D, 100% is not a realistic number. I don't want to crush your dreams, but it's not. Aim high, but be okay with reality. The next hardest challenge with this is making sure that those other stakeholders, the ones with the decision-making power that we have to impress, that they're okay with inconsistency too. Or at the very least, that they understand why it's happening and how they can help boost that consistency up there. That is a whole other conversation though. So we're doing our best to prepare them and to manage their expectations and probably our own. So here are a couple of things that I use to keep myself calm and realistic. Number one, I'm not ready for a master plan yet. Let's just solve the first problem first. There are a lot of very inspiring people on a lot of very inspiring podcasts talking about their very inspiring company-wide learning programs that took five years and have completely changed the way that people think about development in their organization. They've won learning awards. There's been articles about them. It's amazing stuff. We probably aren't there yet. And we definitely don't have five years to put in before we start seeing results. More than likely, you're here because there is a problem that needs fixing now or it's going to turn into an even bigger problem pretty quickly. You need to work on that to the exclusion of almost everything else. Otherwise, you're going to have a problem of your own in about six months' time if you get drift. So the way that this is going to unfold, it's probably not going to feel very fair. It's not going to be very fancy. You're probably not going to win any learning awards for solving this problem. You are going to learn a lot about the people that you're helping and the part of the business that you're working with. Which brings me to doing different things with different teams. It's okay to have different things happening. If it makes you feel better, think of it like an experiment where you can see multiple variables in action at once and compare results. If there's existing stuff in place and they're not adding to your priority problems, why not try going with it? I've come in where there was a team that had already worked out its own performance metrics and its team values, and all that they needed was some help to build a process to capture the information so that they could use it sensibly. Yeah, I did have it on my list to establish a company-wide process that did something very similar, but it was going to be at least five months before I could get started on that. And this chunk of the business was ready for it. I got them to explain it to me. They were software engineers, and the plan was pretty awesome, even if I didn't understand all of the behaviors that they were trying to measure. 
I could tell that this was something meaningful that they found useful. I made a few suggestions to make the process a bit more streamlined. You know, you got to add value somewhere, right? Built it for them and they were off. Now, some of the senior leaders in the business at the time, they weren't sure that this was a good idea. They were worried that it would be seen as special treatment, which is a fair concern. At the same time, though, that special treatment was super aligned with the next priority on our list. It made a whole department happy, especially the leaders. And it was a great first impression for the entire engineering team to see learning and development as a partner for performance and growth rather than something like a compliance police. Plus, when it came time to do the whole company-wide thing, I already had this tried and tested base model to work with and some people that would brag about it. As well as being okay with doing different things for different teams, this is giving you permission to go where you're wanted. Those engineers, they wanted this process in place. They came to me about it. It made things much easier. It's weird how easy it is for people to find time to meet with you when they want to talk about stuff that they're keen on, as opposed to chasing them for meetings. We're going to do our fair share of chasing people. I know this. So, you know, let's not add to our workload if we can help it. Rather, let your happy customers do some bragging for you so that you can have other teams banging down your door. This course of action was also really helpful with the engineering managers because it was something important to them that made their work easier and helped them to support their team. I'd like to think that it helped our relationship get off to a great start. I know that I definitely relied on that social capital a few times later on when I couldn't say yes to things. Talking about not saying yes to things all the time. Just wanted to flag that same doesn't always mean fair. So there's not really a story here. It's more just a reminder that it's not about the inputs. It's about the impact. The point is that In learning and development, we often talk about learning budgets or hours of training, but that doesn't take into account the fact that one set of skills might be very expensive and time-consuming to obtain, while another is something that a person can learn from working inside the business with an expert. Both are valid learning experiences and really useful abilities for the business to develop, but they're going to look super different on paper. We have a little bit of a challenge in that aspect helping people to focus on the outcomes instead of the inputs when it comes to growth. I think this tends to be easier in places where there are other flexible aspects of work already in place. For example, if people aren't working at the same time as each other or always in the same place, it feels easier to accept that they might not learn in the same way either. Last thing about embracing inconsistency, make peace with your white whales. I went to this awesome workshop last year at the Australian HR Institute Convention. It was hosted by Lucy Adams. She's the founder of Disruptive HR. And what she had to say about making change happen kind of blew my little overachiever brain a bit. Within the organization, there will be people that are excited for change. Make the most of them. There are people who might change if they see enough success to get a bit of FOMO. There will also be people who straight up are never getting on board. Don't waste your energy on them. Like Betty Davis, trailblazing actor in the golden age of Hollywood said, if everyone likes you, you're not doing it right. But great change management says to turn your resistance into advocates. Yes, and also no. It is tricky to work out if they're hard to get or impossible to get. 
you are the one who knows how much energy you have to work on them and what you're willing to concede to make them happy. If your concessions end up diluting your efforts too much, it might be time to let that go and focus on the people who want your work. Now, that is the noble high road version. I like to think that Betty Davis would probably prefer the really satisfying version, which is go where you wanted, do something awesome, and make the other ones jealous. Moving on to talk about getting in touch with the individual needs. This is all about getting amongst it. Yeah, it's time for the monthly talk to people part of this podcast. If you can, and in the early days this might be a bit easier, spend time with people, with teams. Like go to their meetings, hang out with them, ask questions about what they do and who they are. The more people see a thing, the more they like it. You know, I've seen it before, I've heard of it, it must be okay. Sometimes it's called the familiarity bias, otherwise it's known as the mere exposure effect. Basically, it's a cognitive bias in the way that our brains are wired. It's supposed to help us save mental energy, but it can get hijacked by influences. Those dang Stanley Cups that are selling like wildfire right now is all thanks to a car fire, a CEO who kept his promise on TikTok, and a lot of people watching those videos. So how can you leverage that? How can you use familiarity bias in your favor? Be that Stanley Cup, you know, be everywhere, get yourself trending in people's brains. This goes for managers as well as your other key people. What you're doing by showing up as well is you're showing people that you're a real person. Online communication can depersonalize us. Emails are easy to ignore. But if they've seen your face and know that you know them as a human as well, the stuff that you do later will get their attention. Someone gave me this really good warning when I started as a travel agent. They said, just because it's the 100th Bali holiday that you've organized doesn't mean it's theirs. This is their once-in-a-lifetime event that they're trusting you with. It's unique. You need to get excited with them. That vibe has really stuck with me in all my jobs. Our role in learning and development is to help humans. And it can be easy to forget that sometimes where we're sitting in front of a screen writing content all day. So whatever we can do to keep some of that definition of the faces in the crowds is really helpful. When we meet someone new, our instinct is to tell them all about ourselves and how great we are, particularly if we're in a new role like setting up L&D. Next time you meet a new person, try playing this game. How much can you learn about them? Now, not in a creepy way. We're not interrogating people. Just having that mindset that Your goal here is to really understand who they are. When you're new in the business, everything that you can find out about people is valuable, especially if it's that stuff that doesn't get written down. You know, personal stuff, job stuff, it's all on the table. If you know about what they do all day, what they'd like to be doing all day, the challenges that they deal with, or the way that their brains work, they're going to turn into a real person for you. And As an added bonus, when you're designing something and have a question, you'll know exactly who to ask. I actually did this last week. Um, So we're working on an updated set of leadership behaviors, kind of like a job description, basically, to help leaders and aspiring leaders know exactly what it means to do the role around here. Before Christmas, I had a catch up with one of the leaders in the business about something completely different. And while we were talking, we got onto this topic of leadership expectations. It wasn't really the time to get into it then, but 
when I was working on the prototype of the workshop, I remembered him. And so I sent a quick message to ask if he wanted to review it with me. It was an awesome meeting. I got some feedback on how to sharpen it up, get what I needed to learn. I got a real human's perspective on what I'm trying to do. If I hadn't had that little mental hook for this person and this topic, I probably would have had to send a group message, wait for responses, juggle calendars. I got this booked in the next day. It was quick, instant feedback. Plus, he gave me a really cool way to visualize incremental process. Very helpful. Getting out there also helps you to find where L&D is already happening. Because the thing to remember is that it is already happening. It has to be, especially in startup life. People doing multiple jobs, leadership roles for the first time, rapidly hiring a bunch of people and getting them up to speed, solving problems that crop up. If the organization has survived long enough for you to join it, then there is definitely some learning already going on. So who's doing it? How is it being done? Where do people keep this information? It's great to do this because A, asking shows that you're interested. You're acknowledging the work that people have already done to get the company to this point. And B, it means that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. When you're starting up L&D or trying to move fast, you don't have time to plan from scratch. So what is already there that you can build on, repurpose, or straight up steal, I mean use? People have worked really hard on this stuff. So using it is a nice way to acknowledge them as well. Because usually the ones that have built the stuff are the ones that you want to make friends with. So that's a double win. Or are we up to a triple win now? It's hard to keep count. Now, just talking a little bit about using what's there. Also, trying to find ways to get into the existing flow of communication instead of adding to the noise with more. you got the official channels. The more that you get out there and talk to people, the more that you'll also find those informal regular connection points in the business and ways that you can show up to them. Remember, we're getting that exposure effect happening. And last but not least, let's talk about giving generously and mindfully. When a new product hits the market, there's always a budget. You've got advertising, merch, giveaways, competitions, tie-ins, and all of those influences. So what's your plan for your marketing blitz? Now, I know that we don't all have the $150 million budget of the Barbie movie, so maybe it's not pink hamburgers that we're chasing. We're going to have to be a little bit more clever than that. Time is a great resource. It's one that you can spend with intent. You can spend it with key people, going to meetings, or chatting one-on-one. And also, stuff. So as well as time, you can also factor into your budget stuff. Think about it this way. What's in your promo cupboard? Radio stations sometimes do those promo cupboard giveaways. You know the ones where they clear out all of the random, desirable stuff that they've accumulated They give it to people who call in or win a certain game. What can you put in your cupboard to have to give away? I want to think about stuff that is easy for you and amazing for them. First thing on this list is resources. Now, the nice thing about being in this industry is that your LinkedIn feed fills up really fast with brilliant content. I know mine does. You know, one pages on feedback techniques, illustrated summaries of books, quick video snippets. I've started saving my favorite one. And then when the moment's right, sharing that right piece of content with the right person. I had this really cool seven questions to a great coaching conversation piece that I shared with somebody that I work with in the people and culture team. 
She loved it. And then a couple of days later, she was actually able to whip it out and share it in a conversation with a new leader. Talk about impact. As well as the stuff other people make, of course, you've got the things that you make as well. Things like templates, guides, feedback. Most of the learning content in an organization is not created by L&D. It shouldn't, you know. I'm not the expert in our customer relationship management software, for an example. What I am the expert in is adult learning. So when my powers combine with the person who is that CRM expert in the form of a template or a guide or some quick feedback on something that they're trying to build, that's when we end up with this awesome piece of knowledge that's captured for sharing and a really proud CRM expert who's made progress towards their goals and looks amazing in the process. Last on the list of stuff is things that cost money, but not expensive things, just stuff that's meaningful. Things like getting them a copy of a book or taking them out for coffee and a conversation. You know, can you get approval for the purchase of some online content that a whole team can reuse over time? We all like to feel special. We all like to get presents and feel schmoozed. It doesn't have to be massive. It just has to be meaningful. One other gift that you can give people, and this one's a bit less tangible, but it makes them feel amazing, is helping them understand you. Our brains do not like not understanding stuff. We feel uncomfortable in new situations because we don't know what to expect, how things will work, what the impact will be on us. If you can help someone understand how to think about learning and development and make it easier for them to talk about you, you're helping to get rid of some of that uncertainty. Now, this is not time for a PowerPoint sales deck. Think more like little phrases and short stories that are easy to remember and share. Any wins that might interest them are also good. As an added bonus, they might start sharing this with other people too. Our brains do like feeling smart. If we see someone else with the same questions that we used to have, it feels so good to be able to answer them. You're just helping to shape those answers. To sum all of this up in another stolen sales tip, every interaction should add value for the customer. So there we have it, the Starting Up L&D Guide to Making Friends. Everyone wants to be friends with the CEO, but you can be smart by connecting with stakeholders that you might not have thought about. Make the connections with managers so that they know who you are as a person and how you're going to make their jobs easier. You're going to be relying on them a lot. So if there's anything that you can do early to build your relationship, get into it. Also, though, go and find the unexpected stakeholders. When something new hits the market, there are early adopters, the majority, and then the laggards. L&D in your company is a new product. Find your people. Find the hashtag influencers that can become your ambassadors. Find the cool kids that are connected to everyone else and will help you get things going. You can help yourself land and expand by going where you wanted and making it easy for people to start getting results. Use what's already there. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Leverage existing channels, processes, ways of doing L&D that were there before you and embed yourself into the business by connecting with people. It's okay if the stuff that you're doing is not perfect or consistent and some people are just not going to be that excited to see you. Keep it human and give what you can that's meaningful to people without sending yourself broke, either financially, 
time-wise or emotionally. Make the most of these early days to hit the ground running. You can give yourself a head start and also get some cookies in the jar. By the way, that's my friendly version of building social capital. It's going to be really useful because next time we're talking about how to say no while maintaining the relationship. I hope this has been useful. We're still in early days of the podcast and I know that it is a pretty niche market. So if you know someone who would benefit from this, please share it with them. And if you liked it, please subscribe in your relevant podcasting service. I'm happy to say that we're now on Spotify, Apple and YouTube Music. Yay! See you next time.